0: You know, I, um, I know Jen just prayed, but um, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're young enough, I want to pray again just for just for a moment. If if you have bad knees or whatever, don't 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 worry about kneeling. But if you can, um, could you kneel down, kneel down as I pray? If you can't sit, don't don't hurt yourself at all. God, when you when you speak to us in in ways that are hard to understand, sometimes when we have to deal with issues and um, struggles that are hard to comprehend, it's good for us to just take a moment, Lord, and just get our hearts right with you. And God, I pray for each one of us. I pray, dear God, that you would help us to understand your word this morning. And that how it applies to our lives, Father. If we've come in with uh, with hurts, with struggles, emotionally battered, um, mentally exhausted, physically struggling, maybe emotionally struggling, Lord God, I just pray that you'd speak to to each individual here this morning. That we would hear your word individually. This is a very personal question that we're dealing with, and I pray that you would help us individually to apply it to our lives. God, for the the teenagers and the younger ones here, I pray, dear God, that you would truly open up their minds and open up their hearts, that they would understand this this word that you're going to give to us this morning, Lord, that they would apply it uh, directly to their individual lives, Lord God, and to the people around them. Thank you that you're a God who is honest in your word, speaks truth into our lives. And I just pray that we would prepare ourselves right now to hear what you want to say to us. And then, Lord, as a, as a body, that we would take what you teach us and that we apply to our own lives and apply it to the people all around us, Lord God, who we know are hurting as well. That we would set examples for one another of what it means to be truly a child of yours. So, prepare our minds, prepare our hearts, and use us, Lord God, to your glory. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Thank you. Um, Over the past few weeks, we've been trying our best to answer the question that people ask us. You know, why does God allow evil and suffering in the world, and We said that the foundation of the question is emotional. That's not to to belittle it and say, oh, it's just your emotions. Actually, it's, it's, it's to lift it up, if you will. Because we ask the question, the question emerges as we feel pain in our lives. As we go through painful experience, that question of why God, why does God allow suffering in our lives? That's where it comes from. It comes from the heart goes to the intellect, and then we ask that question, why is it that we have to go through these things? Over the past few weeks, I've been trying to, to give you um, and teach you Enough where you're stronger and you, feel, um, and you feel more developed in your understanding of how you can answer this question to those who are, who are asking you. Because it will come up very often. It comes up in conversation. It also comes up in our own minds and our own hearts as we experience suffering ourselves. Now this morning I want to take this one step further. We need to realize that no answer... This is why I had you get down on your on your knees this morning cuz this is not one of the more this is this is one of the more difficult um, passages of scripture that we would deal with but no answer is going to satisfy the person asking the question until they see it until they frame it in the light of eternity in the light of Jesus Christ. So you can, you can intellectually give them answers, and it's helpful, because hopefully they'll keep that in their minds, but until they get to the point where they see it and they frame it in the light of eternity, in the light of Jesus Christ, it is, it is not going to satisfy. See, after the fall, in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, suffering takes on a new purpose in the, light, in the life of the believer. As we as we look at the resurrection of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and we take into the account the fall of man and we read the word of God, this whole concept of suffering takes on a different purpose in the life of a believer. So as you sit here this morning, you had that relationship with Jesus Christ. This should help you frame the question more firmly. See, according to the Bible, according to the Bible, according to the Old and New Testament, our trials, especially the New Testament, our trials are used to mold us, to refine us, to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. That is key. I want you to write that down according to the Bible. Okay, suffering is used now, especially because we have the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Suffering is used to mold us, to shape us, to refine us into the image of Jesus Christ. Get it? Good. That's really important. That is really the foundation in which I'll be speaking. When you understand that, as I talk through this, keep that as your framework. Keep that as your as your focal point. So some people, for especially those outside of the body of Christ, outside of the church, this is a completely foreign concept to them. They're looking for a different answer than what I'm going to give you this morning. And this is a part of the answer, but it is foundational as a believer in Jesus Christ for you to understand this as you're talking to different people. Because those in the world, this is completely foreign. The world sees hardship through a certain lens, for the most part, one, one real, a real certain lens, and the goal is avoidance at all costs. Their goal is to avoid suffering. Their goal is to avoid trials. Their, their goal is to avoid these things. So they see it through a certain lens, and the goal at the end of the day is avoidance. And honestly, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that is not what James is telling us, and we'll get there in a moment. For the Christian, we should see these trials through, through different lenses, through the lens of eternity, and approach it with a different attitude. This is what James is trying to explain to us in James chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. He says this. James it says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want to go back. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking maybe in your mind, a trial is something where I'm physically injured or something else. A trial is something that you go through every single day. Each of you, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, have trials in your life. It could be a relationship. Relationship issue that you're dealing with you're frustrated about something. That's a trial in your life and he's in James here is consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds in James chapter one verses one through four. He's helping us see suffering as a part of God's plan of redemption. It has become suffering trials become a part of God's plan of sanctification. If you don't know what those words mean, I want you to go and look them up. I'm not going to explain them all because I really want you to look them up. But God uses our suffering. God uses our trials as part of his plan of redemption, as part of his plan of sanctification, an ongoing process of sanctification. Last week in our youth meeting, Um, We had Carly come Carly was here uh, last Sunday morning. Many of you were here and she was a young woman who was attacked by that dog and she shared her testimony last week on Sunday night. I invited her to come to the high school meeting and the high schoolers were able to listen to her story and then to ask questions. You weren't able to ask questions. They were able to ask some questions and some amazing questions came up. I mean, absolutely amazing. One person asked if Jesus were sitting here now, you understand last week when she shared all the things she went through with the dog, the, you know, the, just the, the, the things that happened that he did to her face. And one of the students asked, if Jesus were sitting here right now with us, which kind of is, um, what would you ask him? They asked Carly, what would you what would you ask him? And I thought, what an amazing question! And her answer was as as impressive as the, the question itself. After a long pause, she basically said, "Lord, what else would you want me to learn from this experience?" And then she followed up with, "How can you better use me because I went through this?" Okay, this isn't. This is a very young woman in college. She goes through a horrific dog attack. And when she's asked, if Jesus were sitting here, what would you ask him? She says, Lord, what else can I learn from this experience? And how can you better use me in my life because I went through this? See, see, listen, the pressure, the pressure that we experience through trials produces in us a spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness. It's like that diamond is crushed and and weight and the pressure on it creates something beautiful. It's the same thing we're talking about here. The pressure that we go through when we go through suffering is used to produce a maturity and a Christ-likeness in our lives. To truly understand the question of suffering We need to see it through spiritual eyes. You need to understand that. When the person's asking you the question, why does God allow suffering? You need to understand there is part of what you can share with them. They are not going to truly grasp and understand until they see it through spiritual eyes. Let me quote one of my favorite people, G.K. Chesterton. He said, the sun, S-U-N, the sun is the one created thing we cannot look at. But it is the means by which we look at all the rest of creation. Like the sun, it is the spiritual that gives light to and explains everything else. The spiritual gives light to and explains everything else. How can you explain this to someone? They have to see it. You can explain intellectually there's a point, though, where only a person who has that that relationship with Jesus Christ is truly going to understand the depth of what I'm going to be talking about this morning. We need to see it through spiritual eyes. You know, I was thinking this week and I'm just going to say, here's the deal. Okay, here's the deal. If you truly want to answer this question in your life, you have to grow spiritually. I can't, there, I can't give you three steps, one, two, three steps to overcoming all your suffering and trials. And here's how you explain it to everyone. And bang, 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 once I explain it to you, it's all good and they're never going to ask again. Everyone's going to be great. If you truly want to understand the question and frame the question the right way and understand the question in your life and use the question to benefit you, use suffering and trials and difficulties in your life to benefit you spiritually, then you need to grow. You need to grow spiritually. If you're ever going to understand the purpose in your suffering and share with other people, you have to get out of this passive learning that we do in our Christian walk sometimes. Come to church once in a while, hear a sermon, forget it. I think it's like you forget like 90% of what you learned on Sunday morning by Thursday. Okay? Not when I speak. You guys probably hold on to 90%. But in general, other people out there who are less exciting. No. 90% by Thursday right? And then you know, and then we're, you know, you pop into this, maybe listen to the radio a little bit. That is, you're not going to answer these types of questions and not just answer them, but apply them to your life. So you own it so that you understand it. So you can explain it to someone else. If you have this passive learning experience in your Christian walk, you need to grab the word of God. You need to read the word of God. You need to study the word of God in your life. You guys work out a lot. I know many of you work out, you discipline yourself to work out. What I'm saying to you, you have to discipline yourself to know the word of God to grow. God is saying I want you to grow I want you to use these experience to grow and become more like jesus christ And as you do that these questions i'm not saying they're simple But you'll understand them and be able to articulate them in a more effective way to other people and in your own life That's where it starts Some of you can't answer the question yourself. That's why you can't share and, and help anybody else understand it you need to go through our classes here at Grace Chapel, 101, 201, 301, 401. 201 class is spiritual maturity, and we help you through that. 301 is your shape for ministry. We help you walk through what, how did God shape you to be involved in ministry so that you can learn and apply what you're learning. All those things need to happen. Being involved in life groups, being involved in the men's Bible study or a women's Bible study. I would love every single person that's hearing my voice to be more connected into the body of Christ. Why? Because when you're more connected into the body of Christ, when you, when you go deeper into the word of God, when iron sharpens iron, you're asking each other questions and you're asking, I don't understand this, someone else is explaining it to you, it changes you and it helps you become the person God created you to be. If you do not grow, you will not be able to answer this question effectively. In your own life, forget anybody else. Forget explaining it to anyone else. That needs to happen in our lives. We need to trust God. You cannot trust God if you don't know God. You don't if you're in a relationship with somebody say trust me. I don't, how am I supposed to trust I don't know you. Jump, I'm going to catch you. Trustful. I don't know the people. It's hard to trust people you don't know. The more you get to know God, the more, the, the deeper you understand Him. The more you're going to trust Him. Now, I want to take a little side note for a second. This is extremely important because some of you are saying, "I read that passage. You're like, that's just ridiculous." consider a pure joy. What I'm going through, I'm not considering a pure joy. Let me tell you exactly what James is saying. James is not saying trials are joyful. Be happy. I've known people in the past who read that and for some reason got stuck in their heads that, you know, you know, this, their car got wrecked, their dog got run over, their house burned down. They're like, this is great. This is great. This is great. I'm saying this is not great. It's not great. But they have, they think they have to do that, and it's like it's like if they stop saying this is great, they have a nervous breakdown. You know what I mean? This is great, this is great. That's not what he's talking about. That's that's not what he's saying here. the, The joy in trials come from knowing the outcome of that trial is going to be good. That you know the outcome of the trial. What God is going to do through it is going to be good. We're talking about a future mindset here. I'm going through a relational struggle right now, right? You say, okay, maybe it's a relational struggle. Or maybe it's a struggle at work. And I'm going through a struggle at work. And I'm going through, so you, you're thinking right now, this is what I'm going through. What you need to do is within that, within that struggle, your mindset goes to understanding that at the end of that struggle, your God is going to do something good. God is going to use that to help you become more like His Son, Jesus Christ. He's going to develop your character. He's going to give you more strength. That's where the joy comes from, knowing that God is going to use whatever is thrown at you to develop you into the person that He's created you to be. That's what brings the joy. I am not happy... I'm not going to be happy if something terrible happens to someone in my family. But I know through the struggle that I go through, whatever happens in my life, I know that if I trust God, I know God is good. I know God is good. I know God loves me. I can trust him. He can use whatever I experienced in my past, what I'm going through now, to benefit me. To help me become more like his son, Jesus Christ, which is basically the goal of our lives. It is true. It is through trusting God. It is through trusting God that we're able to overcome our trials and more than overcome our trials. See those trials as a part of our spiritual journey. We need to actually see. Here's the thing, guys, as Christians. OK. Am I wrong in saying that you're going to go through trials and suffering in your life? Okay. So it's going to happen. The difference is the difference is the world sees it and all they want to do is avoid it. I'm to avoid it. This stinks. This is rotten. Why? God, if there's a God, then why? And that's basically the, because they don't want to, they want to avoid it. There's nothing good about it at all. In my life, I stand as a believer and say, you know, this really stinks. I don't particularly like this that much, but you know what? I trust God I have faith in a God who loves me, in a good God who will take the difficulties I'm facing in my life. And I may not be able to see it where I'm standing right now. But I know that God is going to do something miraculous in my life and use this for my benefit. It is a mindset, it is a future mindset that brings joy to the experience that's happening right now that we have a God who loves us and can use whatever we go through in our lives to help us. I don't know if a lot of you remember Johnny. Remember Johnny Erickson Tata? Remember her? Uh, A lot of you who are maybe a little older Christians um, would remember her. Um, She jumped into Chesapeake Bay, this woman, amazing woman. She jumped into Chesapeake Bay not realizing the depth of the water and her life was changed forever. She was... She became a quadriplegic. She spent her life in a wheelchair. So can you just imagine, you know, how many of you, when you were younger, um, don't do this. Just, but how many of you, uh, I'm raising my hand because I've done this, jumped off a bridge into the water, not knowing how deep it was. You thought, hey, it's water. Anybody? I'm the only one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Help me out here, guys. I'm the only dope who jumped off a big bridge, a reservoir. I'm like, hey, it's hot and there's water. Let's jump off the bridge. That wasn't too bright. Um, She jumped off that bridge, not knowing the depth of the water, and became a quadriplegic in a wheelchair for her entire life. But this woman, let me just say, this woman truly reflects James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. She reflects that in her life. She models, she models in her life the joy of, Of the the, the joy in the midst, let me say joy in the midst of suffering, knowing that God can do amazing things in her life. She's an amazing example of how God can God will give purpose to our suffering. She understands that with her life, how God gives purpose to our suffering. On one occasion, she's talking about how she would like to take her weird wheelchair to heaven. And this is this is what she wrote. I love this story. I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that's not biblically correct, but if it were, if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in, in heaven right next to me when God gives me a brand new glorified body. And I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right. When you said that this world, in this world, there will be trouble. But that wheelchair was a, that wheelchair was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. Thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now, I love this part, and now, as I always say jokingly, you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want to. See, <laughs> exactly. See, you know, you think, oh, uh, no, the wheel, I want to wheel around. The wheelchair. No, 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 no. But look what God can do. When, when I needed you, Lord, when I, was, when I was weak, when I was the weakest, then you were the strongest in my life. You did things in my life I never thought possible. Do I love the wheel? Hey, do I feel good about the wheel? No, that's not what she's saying. You can send a wheelchair to hell. Take it out of here. It's gone. I got a new glorified body. But what you can do in my life while I'm here, God, that's what I'm, That's why I'm going to glorify you. That I've seen it in my own life. That's what she's saying. And that this is amazing. How, how does a person who's a quadriplegic have that kind of attitude? How does she do that? Where does it come from? I think we would all agree here this morning that that joy in the midst of suffering is supernatural. It's a supernatural joy. And the question for us is... Are we, do we have that kind of faith that we can see God's power, God's goodness in the midst of our suffering? Can we have that kind of attitude in the midst of our suffering? This woman's not insane. She's not delusional. She just understands something that some of us don't understand. That the ultimate goal in life is not to walk. It is to become like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The ultimate goal in our life, the ultimate purpose in our life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And she could honestly say that she has been conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. See, James chapter one, verses one through four gives us three specific truths that if we realize will help each one of us find joy in the midst of our suffering. I'm going to give you three, three truths that James chapter one, verses one through four gives us. Number one, we need to realize we will all experience trials. Like I said, there's not a person in this room who's not been through trials. You've been through trials already. You're going to continue to experience trials in your life. Notice in chapter one, and verse two, that it doesn't say. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, If you face trials of many kinds, it says when you face trials of many kinds, you are going to face trials. I am going to face trials as we live in this fallen world. We are going to face trials and there's nothing that we can do about it. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Look at the life of Paul. Think about it. Look at the life of Peter and John. Most of the people in the New Testament, including Jesus Christ, they all went through this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it reminds us now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. When we understand the reality of suffering, it prepares us, for what we're going to go through in the future when we understand the reality of it. If you try to, if the goal of your life is try to avoid it at all costs, I'm just going to avoid it and when it happens, I'm just going to be bitter and angry. See, this helps us. This helps us understand the reality and prepares us for all types of suffering that we're going to go through. Physical, emotional, spiritual. Most of us are going to go through all of those things in our lives. And God is saying to, to us, I want you to be prepared But I also want you to know I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. God may not cause our trials in our lives, but he is sovereign in every single area of our lives. Carly said it last week. She said, I don't believe that God said to the dog, get Carly, attack Carly. But I know that God used that event in my life to change me and to help me become the person that God created me to be. Even though God didn't orchestrate that, God then used that in my life to help me become the purpose, the person I was purposed by God to be. You see, here's the thing. The sting of suffering does not get the last word in the life of a believer unless you allow it. The sting of suffering, trials, difficulties, whatever else, does not have the last word in my life unless I allow it to have the last word. How many of you had just skipped through the tulips when you were growing up? It was the, it was just nothing but happy, happy, happy all the time when you were growing up. Not many people are going to raise their hand. Does that have the last word? It doesn't have the last word in my life. As a matter of fact, all the crud I went through growing up, all the difficulty allows me to be the person that I am today. I have the passion that I have today because of what I experienced back then. He took all this mess and slime and crud that I went through And he took that and he molded it he turned it into something different and used it to benefit me. The reason I feel I have intensity and I'm passionate is not because I was just born that way. It's because God took those feelings. He took all that I went through and he molded it and helped me become the person that I am. God had a purpose for my life. He has a specific purpose for my life and he used everything in my life to help me achieve what he wants me to become as a man of God. That's what we're talking about. That's what James is talking about here. It's in, it's just incredible. See, we need to look at these things and understand that God can use these things in our lives and that the sting of suffering, all these difficulties, do, do not have the last word in the life of a believer unless we just let it. And, this, and when God tells us that we're going to go through suffering, he's showing us grace. God is saying, this is going to happen to you. Don't, don't, la, 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 I want to hear you. This is going to happen to you. And through that, he's showing us grace. He keeps us from being overwhelmed. God keeps us from being completely overwhelmed and falling apart when those trials come our way, whatever they may be, because we begin to prepare. I know they're coming. The question is, how do I deal with them when they come? Again, I look at it and say, God, how are you going to use as crummy as this is, as emotionally draining as it is, how are you going to use this in my life? I can project forward knowing the character of God and that he will use those things to benefit me. See, when we know that our suffering is a part of our spiritual journey, when we truly understand that, we'll be better prepared to understand his sovereign goodness It allows us to understand God's sovereign goodness in all things. God knows, like I said, God knows that we are going to go through suffering. God knows that. But he also knows there's a purpose in our suffering. Number two, we need to realize if we trust God, okay, preface, we need to realize if we trust God, we will grow from our trials. Verses 3 and 4 basically gives us a reason why we can be joyful in our trials. The fire of suffering reveals our approval before God. In James chapter, in chapter 1, verse 2, he, he uses the word trials, obviously, we've been talking about that, for suffering. But then in verse 3, he uses the word testing. And the word testing there refers to an act of proving the worth of something. It, it, it proves the worth of something. Fire produces something in our lives. The fire of suffering produces perseverance. He says it produces perseverance. We can persevere through the difficulty as, and you, you've all experienced this. You've gone through something and it was overwhelming, but the next time you faced something, you were able, you had the strength, you had the perseverance to get through that. Why? Because you've been through the fire before. And you've been strengthened. And the pressure has, I don't say hardened you in a negative way, but has strengthened you in a positive way. God has used it to mold you and to shape you. See, the end result of that is is this incredible joy. Namely... Being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This, the greatest joy is for a believer is to become like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we have to frame it a different way. We're asking the question. We're not even really focusing on, what is the goal of my Christian life? Does anyone not understand that if you're a Christian, the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? You should all say yes, okay? So yes, that's the answer. And so if my goal is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that's my goal, then you say, okay, now there's suffering in the world. That should come into the context, should be framed in understanding an eternal perspective of my goal being to glorify God and to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So when I suffer, I then use that suffering and the, and the peace times and the good times and the laughter and the happiness. All of it helps me be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Suffering just a lot harder. But let me ask you a question. Raise your hand if you, uh, for one of these two things. I grew more. Whoops. I grew more in my Christian life when I was going through when I was skipping through the tulips and everything was really great and I never had any problems. I grew more then. raise your hand as opposed to I have grown more in my Christian life as I've gone through trials and difficulties. Who who who's number two trials and difficulties? Raise your hand. So you understand what I'm saying. So you have a context for what we're talking about here. This is what James is saying. And see, here's the thing. Perseverance is not the final goal. Conforming to the image of Jesus Christ spiritual maturity and completeness in Christ is the ultimate goal of suffering not just it's not just perseverance because perseverance gets us to the point where we can become more like Jesus Christ because we persevere through that suffering. You, you don't end up rocking in some corner because you can't handle whatever you... because the Holy Spirit lifts you up and takes you through it. Carries us when we need to, and He needs to sometimes. But we hold on for dear life, right? When we go through that. But He gets us through it. We persevere through it. Paul expresses the same truth in Romans chapter 8 when he says this. He says, God, we talked about this before, God works all things together for good. And this great goodness is being conformed to the image of Christ. Remember, he says, God works all things. Go and study that. Go and study that idea of all things. Because what he's talking about when he talks about all things, he's predominantly talking about difficult things, challenging things. Uh, you know, uh, su- when we go through suffering and trials and whatever, those are the things. God works through all things. God works all things for good. And that ultimate good that they're talking about there is helping us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. See, that's the goal of every Christian. That is the goal of every Christian. But you cannot reach conformity to Christ. You cannot become more like Jesus Christ in this fallen world if you haven't been refined by fire. That's just the fact. See, I'd love to get up here and tell you some really neat kind of phrases. And I will give you some really cool quotes and you could write them all down and make you You're like, oh, yeah, I'll use that quote next time somebody asks me the question. But that's not going to get to the depth of the question. That's not going to answer the question. We need to realize that we will not be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate goal if we are not refined by fire. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7 says this, These trials, listen, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ reveals himself to the whole world. There's something so much more. In the Christian walk, there's something so much more when we go through trials and just, oh, this stinks. Oh, this is terrible. Why is this? How- why me? There's the answer. Why me? It's not, what, it's not you. It's everyone. We all go through it. The only question is, how do you frame it? How do you see it? In the light of eternity, in the light of Christ? Or why me? This stinks. I'm bitter. I hate life. I wish I were dead. It changes everything when you see it in the right light changes everything number three We need to realize we will overcome these trials We will overcome our trials see the fact that perseverance must finish its work Basically says to me that god will finish what he started in my life This is not the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. It was not the way it was supposed to be but here we are in a fallen world, and here's what God's going to do. God is going to finish what he started in my life. Before the creation of the world, before the foundation of what was laid, he knew Jeff Greer. And nothing was going to stop him from fulfilling the purpose that he has for Jeff Greer. Nothing. Nothing. I can use my trials to overcome all that stands in my way from becoming more like my Savior, Jesus Christ. And God is going to finish what he started in my life if I let, it says, let perseverance finish its work. Let it, let it, Jeff, let it finish. Let it finish you, let it finish the work that he started in you. I don't like it, Lord. I don't, why don't you, I kind of just sit at the feet of Jesus and, and, you know, snack on something. Just tell me what to do. You know, yeah, sometimes you can. But let perseverance finish its work so that it can complete the person that I've created you to be. See, here's the thing. In my opinion, in my opinion, I think the greatest answer to this question when people ask it is how I live my life when I face trials in front of that person. How do I experience that? How do I live my life? When I go through a difficulty, when I go through suffering, when I go through whatever, a challenge in my life, how I live my life matters. How I experience suffering matters. Because the person asking the question is watching my life. They're watching how I live. And I can say to them, when they say, well, if there's a God, why? And you could say, well, remember when I was going through such and such and so and so? Remember that time that I was going through all this difficulty? I, I understood, and you go through that process, and the person says, "Wow, that's true, that's true." They were going through tremendous suffering, and I was wondering how on earth are they, how are they getting through that with that kind of attitude? When you set the example for other people, when you go through struggles, when you set the example of being a Christ-like follower and trying to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, it impacts that person's life. See, our, our joy and our attitude are important as we respond to this whole idea of suffering. Why? Why? Because our response reflects our hearts, guys. I, I don't. I, I I hate to say, you know, that's the reality of it. Our our attitudes reflect our heart as God, as these things come into our lives, whether God is, whether God is having to come into your life and put something in your life so that he can change you. Cause he does that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand here and say, well, everything that happens that at any trial, it doesn't never comes from God. He just uses it. No, he brings it sometimes. He brings it. To help you become the person that he's created you to be. He needs to turn you. And if you think, well, I don't think that's very fair, you shouldn't be a parent then. Because how often do we, when our children start doing things, do we take a step back sometimes and say, they have to experience this in order to understand. And we either allow it, or sometimes as a parent, you will bring things into your child's life to teach them certain, certain things in life that they need to learn. Learn. It's important and sometimes our father does that, but we have to have that attitude and that attitude helps us to to reflect on who we are and where our hearts are. In James chapter 1 verses 5 through 8, it builds on this theme. It tells us that those who have Christ-like character trust in God. They trust in their God in the midst of their suffering, but those who are double-minded, they question the goodness of God. Those who are double-minded question the goodness of God. That's what we're talking about here. And I'll tell you something. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Ravi Zacharias, in his book, Why Suffering, makes the observation, listen to this, that the question of suffering is seen differently in the West than it is in other parts of the world. I totally agree with him. We look at suffering in the West. We look at suffering in the United States in a completely different way than other people around the world do. here's, Here's what he says. He writes this, All around the world, counterintuitively, we find that often people who have suffered most severely somehow have the greatest confidence in the goodness of God. Have you not experienced that yourself? And you say, "How do these? why are these orphans smiling? Why are these people who are... I don't, how could you smile when you live in a hut? How can you smile when you... Why are you? Why what, look at the attitude they have? But the, they're talking about the goodness of God and they're praising God for all of what they don't have. That's what we see. We see their circumstances and say, "Oh my goodness, if I were in their circumstances, because that's right. If we were in their circumstances, oh my goodness." But he says they have the greatest confidence in the goodness of God. He continues, a medical doctor recently wrote me and put it this way. It seems to me that when we speak in in theoretical, in a theoretical sense about terrible suffering of cancer patients or orphans, we miss a good deal of the picture. When people actually engage with and enter into the experience of real life cancer patients or go to experience life at an, an actual orphanage, People tend to come away from those experiences strengthened in their faith. I totally agree. That's what I'm saying. Not weakened. It's often right where suffering happens that we personally experience God. Amen. That's where we personally experience God. I, I I can't agree with this more. How does an how does it, listen? How does a person like Annie Johnson Flint and some of you say who the heck is that? Write that name down, Annie Johnston Flint. Okay, write that name down. How does a person like Annie Johnston Flint have the kind of attitude that she has when she was orphaned early in life? Her mother died giving birth to her younger, her younger si- uh, sister. So her mom, she's young, her mom dies in childbirth. Her father has an incurable disease and he dies. Now she's orphaned. She suffers with incontinence her whole life, the the embarrassment of incontinence her whole life. She is she is riddled with pain because of the cancer that is in her life. So she has cancer. She is twisted and and deformed by rheumatoid arthritis. She is is in pain all the time. She is incapacitated, laying in her bed, and she's in her bed for so long that she has sores all over her body. How on earth is it that a woman who's gone through all of that writes a poem like this that is put to one of the most famous hymns that we have? He giveth more grace. Listen to these words. If I could sing it, I would. Listen to these words. He giveth more grace. This is the woman writing this. He giveth more grace when the burden grows greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's forgiving has only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of the infinite riches of Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's James. Chapter one, verses one through four. That's a Christian. That is a follower of Jesus Christ who understands the purpose in life. Is not, she has, she's fully healthy and she can walk around or, but that she knows the goal of her life, the purpose of her life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And she leans completely on the father. And she knows that one day she projects to the future that one day she will, sta- she will be standing with God and she will get a pu- perfect and glorified body. And until that day, if he does not heal her, if God chooses not to heal her, that is what she will believe. That is how she will live her life. See, we're all going to face suffering. I mean, guys, we're all going to face suffering. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we're all going to face suffering. G.K. Chesterton said it, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but you've heard me say it before. When life becomes difficult, our tendency is to turn away from God. But in heaven's name, to what? In heaven's name, to what? We're all going to experience difficulty and suffering, yet none of us are going to experience suffering the way Jesus Christ experienced it. Jesus Christ came to this earth And he went through horrible suffering so that, so that he could redeem our suffering. He went through suffering for you and for me so that he could redeem our suffering. And our suffering is not without purpose. Our suffering is not without joy. Our suffering is not without God intervening in our lives and using that suffering to help us become the person he's created to be. So if you're in a difficult situation right now, say you're younger, you're in a difficult situation right now. It's difficult. You don't understand. You don't understand. Instead of acting out this way, why don't you stand back and take a lesson from someone like this who says he giveth more grace To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. I mean, why not? Why not? I I know, I know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but why not stop and reflect on what we've been talking about and say, you know what, God, this is really difficult. You know what, though? I'm going to look to the future. I'm going to have joy in the present because what I know you're going to do in my life through this challenging time, you're going to help me become more like my Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you can't do that, I say this with all the love in my heart. I really, really do. You need to grow up a little. It's really hard. I, I would love to. I need to grow up a little. When I can't do it. We need to grow up in our faith and ask God to use these difficulties to strengthen us. See, he experienced suffering so that we didn't have to experience in the same way that those who don't know Christ experience it. He wants to redeem. He redeemed our suffering. See, through Christ, suffering can actually become a means of joy, a means of joy because in it we find the meaning of life, conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. See, our response to suffering reveals something about us. You've got to ask yourself, what do I believe about God? Because in that question, it has a lot to say about what you think when it comes to suffering and trials. What do I believe about God? Do I believe that my God is good? Do I believe in the goodness of God, that God loves me, and that he will use these things in my life? Do I believe that about God? Or do I believe that God is doing something? He, he's angry doing something. What do I believe about God? Is our faith strong enough to endure the fire of suffering? See, if you're suffering right now, if you're suffering right now, then know that God is calling you, God is inviting you to grow in your faith, to learn to trust him more and to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So if you're going through it right now, know that God is inviting you to become more like His Son, to trust Him. If you're not going through any severe trials right now, then you use this time to understand better what it means. What is the biblical reason for suffering? Try to try to understand it. Try to try to study it. Try to relate it to your life. Try to try to enter into God's presence. Say, God, help me to better understand what it means to go through these sufferings and go through these trials and then don't be surprised if God calls you to use it because he's going to. I love you all so much. I really, really do. And sometimes it's hard to get up here and preach and to, and to say things that when I'd rather just say, hey, I'd rather just get my magic wand out, right, and go bring and make it all go away, right? Just bing and everybody, but that's, that's not the fallen world in which we live. friends, those that I love so much, please understand that we're all going to face trials, but that we have a loving, good, merciful God who can use those challenges in our lives to help us to become more like our Savior Jesus Christ. God can turn our pain into power. He can turn our pain into power and help us become the person that he's created us to be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that you've given to us. I pray, dear God, that you would please, please speak to each one of our hearts. Help us, Lord God, to trust you through our challenges. Help us to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, to lean on and depend on him and to follow the example of the great men and women who've gone before us, who've shown us what it means to be more like you in their suffering. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.